So I encourage you to grab your Bible if you have one with you. If you would like a, a Bible, there's some out on the table. Feel free to get up at any point and grab a Bible if you need one. Uh, you can also usually, if you have a phone with you, you can find a Bible apps that have the Bible on it or even just Google the text that we'll be looking at and it'll come up. Um, but the text I'll be reading is also printed in your, your order of worship on page 8. We said that we've been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom, and, and we are continuing today moving from, from chapter 9 through chapter 10. So again, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'll begin reading in verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 10. Hear the word of God. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it built great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and by he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. <coughs> Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are not heard. The words of a wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. So wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's oil give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. 
He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature uh, will um, tell the matter, and some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your wisdom to discern the meaning of this text, to apply the meaning. Um, Lord, I am a sinful person. I am a limited person. I understand so little, and the task of Expounding your word is, is so lofty, Lord, I can't attain to it. Uh, but Lord, I, I pray that in your mercy that you would um, draw out the meaning of your scripture, um, that, that we would all learn from scripture today and see it applied to our lives. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think that Often in life, we are seeking <laughs> guarantees. We, we want to know that everything will be okay. But as you look at the beginning of the text that I read a moment ago, you see that there are no guarantees. That wisdom itself, trying to be a wise person, doesn't guarantee the outcome of your life. Look in your Bible at verse 11 of chapter 9. That's where I started reading earlier. It says, again... I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Now, in one sense, as Christians, we do not believe in chance. We talked about this a few weeks ago from the book of Ecclesiastes, that the providence of God is, is directing all things, upholding all things. 
And sometimes, especially in the secular world, you'll hear people talk about the world being created by chance. And it makes it sound as if chance is a thing that does stuff. <laughs> uh, where chance is not a thing, chance does not do anything. And you say, well, what do we mean by the word chance? Is it wrong to use the word chance? And it's not wrong to use the word chance as, we, as long as we realize that chance is not a thing, but chance is a word that we use when we can't discern the cause behind an event. Or when we're talking about statistical probability, that this, this happened by chance. I got this disease, or I tripped and fell, and this, this happens... I fell into the statistical probability that out of X number of people, this can happen. And what it says in our text is that time and chance happen to all people. That you can try to be wise, you can try to live your life in the right way, but yet statistical probability will still happen to you. You can be the wisest person around, but you can still suffer. And that's why he says that the swift person does not always win the race. Maybe he gets sick. Maybe she falls down and breaks her ankle. It's not always clear what will happen. Or it says that the strong does not always win the battle. It's similar, that the stray arrow can hit somebody. The, the strongest warrior can fall. It seems like chance. It seems random. It, it's hard to understand. We don't know the cause behind it. Time and chance happens to all. That, that wisdom in and of itself does not guarantee the outcome of our life. Then we see something else. Look in your Bible at verse 13, and we see that wisdom also doesn't guarantee public recognition. So it doesn't guarantee the outcome, but it also doesn't guarantee that we'll get recognized. Look at verse 13. He says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it building great siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And so you see the picture. You see the illustration. There's this small city, an insignificant city. And then it's under siege by this great king who's about to take it. Time and chance happens that you would assume that the, the great king would overthrow the small city. But it says that a poor, wise man is found. And one way or another, he's able to deliver the city. He, he devises a strategy for victory against all odds. But then there's this pessimistic note. It says, yet no one remembered that poor man. Everybody forgot him. Nobody respected him. It didn't profit him in the end. He was still poor. He was still insignificant. He was still a no. As we said, wisdom does not guarantee that we're going to have public recognition. But then you step back and you say, well, is there any point in being wise? And this is a theme that we've talked about over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. If wisdom isn't a guarantee that you're going to have the good life, that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, if time and chance can happen to you, even when you do the right thing, if people ignore your accomplishments, even though you did the right thing, why bother? 
Why not live the way that you want? Why not be a fool? But that's the main point of our text that we we're looking at today. According to our text, wisdom is still better than folly, despite its limitations. And this is what you see in verse 16. So, so look there in your Bible, chapter 9, verse 16. He says, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And so in those verses, you see that word better repeated several times, that wisdom is better. It's better than might. It's, it's better than the words of foolishness. It's, it's better than the weapons of of war. And if you're reading from the English Standard Version, like I did a moment ago, and you look at the, the heading that the translators supplied at the right before verse 11, it says, Wisdom is better than folly. That the translators recognize that this is a, a theme of this entire section. But then you say, Well, wait a second. There's no break. It moves to chapter 10. But at least in the English Standard Version, there's, they don't give a heading break moving into chapter 10. That somehow all of chapter 10 is still speaking to this theme that, that wisdom is better than folly. And you might have wondered as I was even reading chapter 10, how is he going to preach chapter 10? Because it starts to feel like the book of Proverbs. As you read the book of Proverbs, also the wisdom of Solomon, it moves through lots of seemingly disconnected vignettes of wisdom that shows you how to live. It's practical, it's useful, but even commentaries talk about that it's hard to find a unifying flow of thought within chapter 10, that it feels like he's moving from one topic to another topic. Is there anything that's, that's unifying? But if you think about it in the flow, exactly what I've been talking about, that verse 11 to 15 of chapter 9 is about the limitation of wisdom. It can't guarantee the outcome of your life. It won't guarantee public recognition. Then we said chapter 9, verse 16 to 18 asserts, it says, yes, wisdom, despite its limitations, is better than folly. And then all chapter 10 is doing is trying to, to prove that assertion. It's saying, yes, we still need the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is still valuable. It's not a guarantee in this life, but it's still better than folly. So let me show, let me show an example of how wisdom is better than folly. Now, I, I struggled, to be perfectly honest, I struggled this week of how I was going to handle chapter 10. And I figured out about three options that I went back and forth between the best way of handling this. So the, the first option that I thought about was to go verse by verse through chapter 10, and look very briefly at each piece of wisdom. I counted about 14 Proverbs, depending on how you divide it. The other option that I thought about was breaking it into 14 sermons <laughs> and, and, doing, and, and drawing the wisdom of Scripture, thinking about that theme, drawing in Proverbs, drawing in teaching of Scripture elsewhere, and, and look topically at each of those, those 14 topics. And then the third option was to 
look, draw out a handful of the Proverbs to illustrate the central idea of the whole section, that wisdom is better than folly. And so I chose that third option. So today, for the rest of our time, we're going to spend in chapter 10. And what we're going to look at, we're going to pull out four of the Proverbs from that list. And we're going to, to look at them, apply them, show how they are practical, they're, they're useful for our life, and that wisdom is, in fact, better than folly, despite all of its limitations. So here's the, the first proverb that we're going to draw out. Wisdom is better than folly because folly outweighs wisdom. So wisdom is better than folly because folly outweighs wisdom. So here's the first proverb, verse Verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now the, the image here is, is fairly clear, but in the ancient world, if you were going to refine perfume that smells so good, you had to be careful that if a single fly got into your perfume, it would begin to rot, it would become rancid, and that would spread to the perfume and it would ruin the entire batch of perfume. So you had to be careful of that one fly. And that's what he applies here to wisdom. Wisdom is better than folly because just a little bit of folly outweighs all of your wisdom. And if you think about that from experience, it's true. Imagine a store clerk. She works faithfully year after year at the cash register. She's in a department store. She always arrives on time. She always does her job. She's always polite to all of the customers. But then one day she's having trouble paying her bills and she takes $100 out of the cash register. She doesn't think anyone will notice. She's caught and she's fired because of her theft. And on the surface, you say, wait a second, she did thousands of things right. She was wise thousands of times. One time was folly. But yet it says here, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Or think of a, a husband who is a faithful husband for year after year. But then he commits adultery one time. And it unravels his marriage, unravels his family life. And you say, wait, he did thousands of things right throughout his life, and he did this one thing wrong. But then it says, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. This is a wisdom principle of Scripture. This is true from experience. It's a hard truth, but we know that it's true. It's not unfair. And this is one of the reasons that pursuing wisdom is so important and why seeking to live in wisdom is so important. Sometimes we can read the book of Proverbs or wisdom like this chapter that feels like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and we say, this is practical stuff. This is obvious. I don't need this. I'm kind of above the book of Proverbs. But what we fail to recognize is how serious it is when we veer from wisdom, when we go into folly. It outweighs so much wisdom. 
That's why it is a great practice. Read through the book of Proverbs often. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. You can read a chapter a day for a month. Do that month after month, and you grow in wisdom. And then as you, the more you grow in wisdom, the more you see the, how narrow the path of wisdom is. And there's a, a great example of this from John Bunyan. We had our confession of sin from John Bunyan. Jonathan mentioned that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, and there's an image of Pilgrim's Progress where he's going from the, the city of destruction to the celestial city, and he goes through the valley of the shadow of death and this, this narrow path at night, and it's, it's terrifying. And he, he can barely see, and he stays just on the straight and narrow path before him. But it says that when it started to get light, he looked back, and he could see the path that he went down, and right beside the path, there was a steep cliff that if he had veered off the path, he would have fallen to his death. He didn't realize how much danger he was in. And I think that that's how we can think about wisdom as we reflect back on our life. You say, I was just walking on this path. But then later, as you grow in wisdom, you say, wow, if I had gone outside of that, it wasn't just an alternate path, that it would have been ruin and destruction. And it's only by the grace of God, not my own works, not my own faithfulness, that I was able to stay on the path. Or perhaps for younger people who don't have the wisdom yet, it's important to know that you're on the path of wisdom that God has laid out. And that there, it's not that there are equal paths going off to the side, that there is a path of wisdom. And staying on that preserves you against so much folly because we learn that folly outweighs wisdom. And that's why wisdom is better than folly. Folly gets us into trouble. Yes, wisdom is no guarantee, but we do not want to live in folly. So that's the first proverb that we're drawing out. Here's the, the second proverb that we're drawing out to illustrate this. Wisdom is better than folly because folly makes your work harder. Wisdom is better than folly because folly makes your work harder. Look at verse 10 in chapter 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And that's a, a great image, a very wise image, that sometimes you're in a hurry. You're, you're trying to cut something. Maybe you're, you're, you're cutting up vegetables, but your knife is dull, and it's not working very well. But you say, I'm in a hurry. I have to get the meal made. I have to keep working. I have to keep making this happen. But, but sometimes if you actually step back, you stop working, you sharpen the knife, and then you engage in your work that it will help you succeed. And this is a wisdom principle that you see in all of life. Uh, but a good example, a good articulation of this principle uh, is from a, an author, Stephen Covey, uh, in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's kind of the, if, you're, if you read productivity literature, Seven Habits is kind of the classic book on being an effective person. And I, I've really enjoyed the book, benefited from it. Um, there are cheesy elements in it. But yet, when you read it, you say, okay, this is not scripture, but it's drawing from, from the path of wisdom, showing that wisdom is better than folly. Yes, it's not a guarantee. I think that's where something like the seven habits falls short, that it can feel almost like a, pro, a promise that if, if, you, if you follow this wise path, your life will be good. But wisdom is not a promise. But yet it is valuable. 
And the, the seventh habit in that book is this, and he calls it sharpen the saw. And it's the, the same image that we see here. It's, and he says, sharpen the saw means preserving and enhancing the greatest asset you have, you. It means having a balanced program for self-renewal in the areas of your life, physical, social, mental, and spiritual. That so often in life we're thinking, I need to work more, 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 get more done. But there's this principle of sharpening the edge, the wisdom of stepping back. And so that could be physically that you exercise or you stretch or you help your body. Socially, you spend time with friends and family. Mentally, you do continuing education or get another degree or you read books, you grow in your mind. Or spiritually, you are in the word, you're in prayer, you're, you're sharpening you're, or you're attending weekly worship, observing the Lord's Day to, to set aside work and recreation to gather with God's people. And that's essentially stopping your work, sharpening yourself, because it says that if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. That there's real wisdom here. That wisdom is better than folly. Because folly makes your heart, your work harder. That's the, the second proverb that we're drawing out here. Very practical proverb. Then here's the, the third proverb that we're drawing out. And there's four altogether that we're going to draw out. The third is this, that wisdom is better than folly because folly doesn't have the correct goal. Wisdom is better than folly because folly doesn't have the correct goal. Look at verse 15 in chapter 10. It says that the toil of a fool wearies him. For he does not know the way to the city. So you see that, that he doesn't know where he's going. He's working, he's, he's laboring, but eventually he's going to wear himself out because he's not going to the correct destination. And again, if you're thinking about productivity literature that is trying to draw on the wisdom that you see, the wisdom that's articulated in Proverbs, common grace wisdom of Scripture showing that wisdom is better than folly, You'll see sometimes a distinction between self-management and self-leadership. That self-management is how you manage the goals that are before you, how you keep your calendar and keep your tasks. But self-leadership is actually how you decide whether those goals are worth pursuing in the first place. That you can be effective at managing your life, but you're going completely in the wrong direction. You do not know the way to the city. And therefore, the fool eventually wears himself out. And I think that what Solomon is saying in this proverb is that, that the fool's work, the fool he works and he works, he doesn't even know where he's going. He's, he's at the wrong place from the very start. And there's a great picture of this from Thomas Aquinas, the great medieval theologian. He quotes Augustine, so he starts off quoting his, the earlier writer, St. Augustine. He says that it is better to limp along the way than to walk briskly off the way. And then Aquinas continues, he says, for one who limps along the way, even though he makes just a little progress, is approaching his destination. But if one walks off the way, the faster he goes, the further he gets from his destination. And so that shows how somebody can be brilliant, can have a great mind, great understanding, 
But if it's directed to the wrong goal, it's going to only move them further and further away from God, that they're not going to be going in the right direction. Somebody can work hard. It's only going to lead them in the wrong direction. Again, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, that I mentioned a moment ago, there's another image from that where he's going up the path from the city of destruction to the celestial city. He knows the way to the city. And it's hard. He's, he's sweating. He's tired. And then other people come going down the hill. And they're very happy. They're going. It's easy going. And he wishes that he could turn around and go down because that's far easier. But the point is, is that he's, even though the, the, the hill is hard, he's going in the right direction. He has the right goal. They're going back to the, to the city of destruction. And their way is easy, but it's leading to destruction. And this is important spiritually as well, that, that according to scripture, our goal is to glorify God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief and the highest end of man, of humanity, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That, that's what we've said in our vision. That is the way to the city. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That if your goal is to glorify God, if the Lord... Jesus Christ is the goal of your life. He says your labor is not in vain. <clears throat> that it may be hard going, the road may be slow, but it is coming together for the glory of God. Again, wisdom is better than folly because folly doesn't have the correct goal, doesn't have the correct destination in mind. So that's the, the third proverb that we're drawing out. But then here's the fourth and the final proverb drawing out to illustrate that wisdom is better than folly because folly is destructive in the end. That wisdom is better than folly because folly is destructive in the end. Look at verse 18 in chapter 10. It says, Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. And it's saying if you don't work, Eventually, your, your roof is going to sink in. Eventually, if you don't change the oil in your car, eventually your car will break. If you don't take care of the things that you have, eventually they will wear out, they will rust. If you don't put your tools away, they will rust and or the grass will grow over them. If you don't mow your lawn, your old truck will get covered with thorns and grass. And this is why it says in Proverbs 18, verse 9, that whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. That whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that you think of somebody, a vandal, somebody who's actively going out to destroy something. He goes out and he, he breaks your car with a rock. And it's, it's a sin of commission. He's actively doing something. But then... The person who doesn't take care of the car, it eventually breaks as well and is in ruins. One was sin of commission, one was a sin of omission, but both resulted in the car being destroyed. And so that's why he says here that, that they're, they're brothers, the person who's being lazy, the person who is destroyed, because there's this destructive end of folly. And I think that that's where you can see how destructive something like social media is. 
I pick on social media a lot, and I don't care. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll keep p picking on social media. Uh, that you can think of something like Facebook. Uh, when I looked it up, at least the article I looked at it, I didn't check the exact date, but it was it listed it as the fifth most valuable company in America. And the top five were all tech companies that make their, their money primarily from advertising. And you say, well, wait a second, you're not they're not mining gold out of the ground. They're not taking oil out of the ground. Uh, they're not taking something valuable. It's not coal. It's not something that you can hold, that you can touch, that you can feel. Why are these companies so valuable? And the, the reason is because that they are mining human attention. They are, they're mining uh, your ability to, to focus, and they're perfecting the, sci the science of distraction. And it's not that social media is wrong in and of itself. I mean, this is streaming on Facebook right now. Uh, but yet we can see that, that when it moves beyond its purpose of connecting with others, that it, it distracts. It leads to us focusing on what we shouldn't focus on, that whether it's social media or Netflix or YouTube, other sources of entertainment, that it leads to a great cause of sloth and laziness in our world. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's saying wisdom is better than folly. Don't be unwise, be wise. And the very heart of that is making the best use of the time, or some translations say redeeming the time because the days are evil. That folly is destructive. Wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is constructive. Wisdom takes time to build relationships, that wisdom takes time to acquire new skills, that wisdom takes time to restore old paths, that wisdom takes time to innovate, to create something new, that wisdom is better than folly because folly is destructive. So those are the, the four Proverbs. Now, obviously, there's much more that could be said. We could have walked through all of them today, but it, you get the idea but this is where then we, we stop for a second and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we say, wait, wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is good. We want to live practical lives of wisdom for all the reasons that we've outlined and for more. But then we circle all the way back to the beginning of our passage today. That he says, wisdom is no guarantee that your life will be good. Time and chance happen to all. Wisdom is no guarantee that you're going to be well known, that you're going to be successful. You're, you're a highly effective person, you might die in obscurity. But then also, even more importantly, we know from Scripture that wisdom is no guarantee of our standing before a holy and righteous God. And the reason for that is because even though we might be more wise than other people, you might be more wise than me, but when it comes down to it, to one degree or another, We've all participated in folly. And we said that a little folly outweighs wisdom, that we've all walked into the folly of making our life harder or the folly of, of being lazy or having incorrect goals or working for self or for pleasure. All the ways of wisdom, we know that we haven't perfectly walked the path of wisdom, that we've moved off into the path of destruction. And so you say, well, wait a second, if, if wisdom... If folly outweighs wisdom, then maybe that's what characterizes our lives. Maybe folly is the end of the story for us. 
Uh, maybe we're the person who we made one mistake, and that one mistake separated us from a holy and righteous God. But then we've made more than one mistake that we have lived over and over again in rebellion against God. Is there hope for people like you and for me? And that's where we come to Jesus as our wisdom. That in 1 Corinthians 1, it says that because of him, because of the Lord, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we're not boasting in, look at how wise I am, look at how productive I am, that we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And as we look to him, despite our, our folly, despite us going after the wrong goals, the wrong path, that Jesus Christ clothes us in his wisdom, that he becomes our wisdom. And is ultimately from that position of being in Christ, being rooted and grounded in Christ, that we can begin to pursue wisdom, to live in wisdom in and through Christ, that it is in Christ that we discover in our life, in experience, that in fact, wisdom is better than folly. Let's pray. Father, we pray that today you would lead us on the paths of wisdom. We know that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, that wisdom begins with, with Christ, that wisdom begins with admitting our folly and turning to Christ. And Lord, today we, we pray that, yes, we can learn from the, the nitty-gritty practical wisdom of Proverbs, the nitty-gritty practical wisdom of chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes. But Lord, we also want to keep in our vision that, that this is, it's, life is not just about being successful. It's not just about being wise under the sun in this world. That, Lord, we need our, our perspective from over the sun, from the Son of Righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, Lord, fix our hearts on Christ, that he would be our wisdom, that he would rescue us from all of our folly, that he would be our wisdom. But then in Christ, we pray that we can um, not live in folly, not to continue to live in foolishness when we have the wisdom of Christ, but to walk in the wisdom of Christ, to, to grow in our understanding of wisdom on the path to the celestial city that you have laid out, knowing that the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world, but that we would prize the wisdom of God above even the most valuable gold, the most valuable silver, above wealth, success, or anything, because that is the hope that leads us from this life to the life to come. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.